the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, Come to you live at youtube.com slash cover3, live on Facebook as well. Thanks to all of you that are joining. Today is a mailbag episode, so if you can't uh, participate live in the chat, what's up everybody? Come and hang out. Uh, I do think that there's a way for you to get involved with mailbag episodes, and it's by leaving a five-star review, put your question in the review, and we will add it to the big old bag of mail in a future mailbag episode. If you're here hanging out live, please also hit that like button. Subscribe on YouTube so that you know that anytime that we go live, you'll get an alert. And, um, you know, this is just a, a good way for us to be able to continue to grow the show. And remember the off-season challenge. We mentioned it at the beginning, and I haven't mentioned it enough. It's just just turn on one of your friends to the Cover 3 podcast. Somebody who hasn't heard of us, somebody who may or may not even be looking for an extra podcast. If you think that they would enjoy the, what we've got here on the Cover 3 podcast, make sure that you go and spread that word. We do have, are you, are you guys ready to be filling out brackets on, on Sunday night and Monday? Because you know that we've got uh, a bracket games challenge for the Cover 3. Is uh, Got your notes together, guys? You know, I, Chip, I, tell I, me I, more. <laughs> How do we sign up? <laughs> I, I was I was gonna go natural here into the into the read, but like oh sorry, man. Okay. It's okay. No, I mean, like you now is the time in conference tournament to be able to to scan the board, to be able to get your notes and, and to be able to be ready. Um it's like cramming before the final. Yes. It's why I love it. Mm-hmm. It's because that's all I did. I mean it's like it, oh, I have watched this team twice all year but it was in the last three days so i know everything about it and i can tell you this is an elite eight team right here <laughs> are you ready danny if you, are you going to be ready for the cover three i will be ready i absolutely will be ready i need to see the brackets see what kind of what matchups we're talking about because it's all about matchups right mm, yeah matchup trends yeah, how many yeah. one seeds are you going to advance to the final four when are you going to be looking to bounce ohio state you know all those things that we love to do every single year because that's right tom Fernelli, danny cannell bud elliott and myself we were all going to be in the cover three bracket game and you can join by going to cbssports.com slash cover three brackets very, very easy. CBSSports.com slash cover three brackets. The winner gets a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus. And why would that be great? Because, listen, Paramount Plus is a place where you can not only watch NCAA tournament games, but you get to watch Champions League, CONCACAF, golf majors, and NFL football in the fall. And plus, we're so excited about the debut of Halo, which is streaming March 24th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Halo to try it for free. But back to the brackets. I mean, you can join our pool, but you can also start your own to compete against friends and fill out a bracket. 
for your chance to win a trip to the 2023 Final Four. Again, cbssports.com slash cover three brackets. We dropped it in the chat right there. cbssports.com slash cover three brackets. We look forward to competing against you with the winner getting a $100 gift card to Paramount+. Plus. All right. Big old bag of mail. Y'all ready to dive in? Let's do it. Okay. First question comes from um, a username. We didn't, we didn't start the fire. Oklahoma State Billy Joel crossover. It's, it's <laughs> what the people want right there. We didn't start the fire. Asks, uh, great podcast. Chip, the connective tissue. Tom, Midwest sensibility. Bud, unique analytic perspective. Danny, old school. I have a theory that the most recent college football playoff will result in less parity. Up to this year, the majority of college football playoff teams had dynamic offenses led by strong quarterback play. This year, three of the four college football playoff teams were ball control offense with a defense-first approach. By Georgia beating Alabama, parentheses, mostly because Alabama was missing its top two wide receivers, I think that it will give coaches like Jim Harbaugh, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, Luke Fickle, and more false hope that a team with their respective schemes can win a natty. This leaves Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and presumably USC as the teams that will dominate the college football playoff in the near future. So the impact of seeing a team that does not have that elite, you know, top first round level quarterback play, that does not have the the a truly dynamic, more modernized offense winning the national championship, and with as they mentioned in the question, a couple of them in the playoff. Uh, what do you think the impact will be moving forward in college football? I think that our lovely questioner is looking at it from the wrong perspective. Interesting. I don't think that it's an outlier in that you need a great quarterback, first round type of QB. I think that as we've discussed many times on the show, Bud, you've discussed it, and you look at mock drafts and you look at the NFL draft coming up this spring, there aren't a lot of great quarterbacks in this class. And I think that what we're seeing is kind of a result of that cycle where in a year in which there is not an amazing standout quarterback where there's only one or two of them, a team like Georgia without a standout quarterback, a team like Michigan without a standout quarterback can get to the playoff and maybe win the national title. So I think that's what this year said more than anything about maybe the style and the approach. And I know I've said all along the last few years, I thought that we were in an era where you have to have that kind of offense now to win national titles. And I still think that's going to be the case most of the time. But I don't think this was a fluke as much as it was just a reflection of the sport this year. I mean, look, after the convention, obviously I had to quarantine when I got home. My nine iron was missing from my golf bag. I still went out and I shot pretty good. Does that mean I'm gonna go out, go ahead and just forego my nine iron forever because my nine or because my two year old probably pulled out of my bag and, and it's somewhere in the house or or in the deep cut of the garage? No, like Nick Saban talked about this in 2015. With the way the rules are in college football, you have to have an elite quarterback if you want to consistently contend for national titles. That Georgia did so with the guy playing quarterback for them is a testament not to the guy playing quarterback. But for how freaking good that defense was, and this is the second time now I've referenced this, so thanks CBS for allowing me to expense this product, but the Nike Coach of the Year Clinic videos, I just got done watching the Georgia series. And not only Kirby Smart, but like Glenn Schumann and those guys are talking about, hey, this is what we want to run. Now, this is what we ran. Now, it's not normal, even for us at freaking Georgia, to have 
this type of player take and throw the guard into the fullback, right? Like that's not normal, but on this play, it was very effective uh, because of our design, but also because we threw the guard into the fullback. You know, Georgia's not going to have that level of defense almost certainly ever again under Kirby Smart. Like that's one of the best front sevens of all time in this sport. So they'll still have really elite defenses, but I guarantee Georgia's not saying, yeah, we don't really need the quarterback play. Like, it's much better to have good quarterback play than it is to not. But is it, to just play a little bit of a devil's advocate, is the question more about not looking for the quarterback but the style of offense? Because I think this would give hope to a guy like Harbaugh, to a guy like Jimbo Fisher, to guys that have been a little bit more traditional, a little bit less willing to adapt some of the modern concepts of college football and say – yeah, I don't have to do that. I can I can win with my offense, with a great defense. I don't have to go out there and sling it all over the field. I don't have to run some of these concepts. You know what I mean? Like, Coaches that have talent that might be first-round NFL draft talent, but the way that they are utilized within the college scheme is not always uh, accentuating that. Right. So that would be my – that would be the – I think there is some validity, and this might have given hope to teams that have been a little bit more wary of just adapting the latest concepts, even if they have the good quarterback. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. But I, I also think that kind of along the line of what Bud was saying, though, it's like regardless of the offenses this year, if we just look at Michigan and Georgia, who are more like kind of the old school three yards and a cloud of dust offense without elite quarterback play, Bud mentioned Georgia's defense. It was one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen when the NFL draft happens in a couple months. And like at the combine, like every single player from Georgia last week during the combine, everybody's like, wow. And it's like, yeah, that was everybody on that defense. And we'll see a lot of Georgia defenders go in the first round of the draft, the second round, the third round, like pretty much that entire defense that's eligible might be gone by the end of the third round. At the same time, there might be three players from that Michigan defense that go in the first round of the NFL draft this year between Hutchinson, Ajabo, and Daxton Hill. They were really good defenses that were able to help overcome offenses that were good, but maybe weren't elite and didn't have elite quarterback play. And another way to play devil's advocate here too, forgetting the level of QB and just like the styles and all that, and I'm not, I don't want Michigan fans to take this the wrong way because they earned it and they deserved it. But if that game in Ann Arbor against Ohio State is played on a day that's 55 degrees and sunny instead of a day in the upper 20s and snowy, do they still beat Ohio State? I don't know because the weather does impact Ohio State's offense because Michigan's offense is much better suited to what they played in that day than Ohio State's is. I mean, okay, let's also get back to the intentionality component of this. Georgia did not choose to play that way. JG Daniels could not stay healthy. Yeah. They went out and got JG Daniels because they didn't like their quarterback situation because they felt like they had to upgrade one. That The, the Georgia result is an outlier. There's no freaking way that Jim Harbaugh or Jimbo Fisher should choose to play a less efficient style of offense. The style of offense you play, within reason, does not really impact the quality of defense that you play. Now, on the very, very you know far extremes, Maybe, right? Like if you're trying to run 100 plays a game or something, I could see how that could have negative impact on your defense. Or if you run a very, very weird system to where you're not really able to give your defense looks in practice uh, of the types of offenses that they'll play on a week-to-week basis. But there's, I just don't see any argument for playing, a, like intentionally playing a less efficient, less explosive style of offense if you have the actual ability to recruit the players to do so. And if we're talking about like teams trying to win a national title, 
they absolutely have that ability to do so on both sides of the ball. I don't know if JT Daniels is a starter if Georgia's offense is markedly different. I think that personnel-wise, there might have been other positions on the offense where you're a little bit concerned or um, being more confident in, in the strength of your running backs. There, there really might be a, a philosophical a philosophical side. And if, if you believe in the pendulum, then at some point it's got to swing back to where it is an advantage. If the pendulum is never going to swing back, and this is more of a like an Overton window situation, and we just continue to move things just a little bit more uh, towards basketball on grass, then you know maybe the idea is you we are seeing that you are going to need to have a more dynamic offense. But at some point, it could be in the mind of a Kirby Smart, of a Jim, of Jim Harbaugh, or of a Luke Fickle. That's like, I man, all we need to do is win the line of scrimmage. Like we, that is all we need to do. And if we do that, then we can play championship level football. I, I agree with what you were saying, but although I disagree with the idea of Georgia's offense not being efficient, I think that it's not optimal for long-term efficiency, sure. but Georgia's offense was very efficient this year. They finished seventh nationally in points per drive. And also, if you look at their passing EPA offensively, they ranked eighth. Oh, yeah. So, so it's, it, it was very it's, effective. It's like Stetson Bennett isn't going to light up a combine and go in the NFL, but that offense, the passing game was just fine with him in it. Did you guys see the article that Dennis did about the first time in a decade where the offensive numbers were down? Did you see that? I'm I'm trying to find it here, which I thought was interesting, and it kind of plays into this discussion because, you know, have defenses in this big, slow game of chess over the last decade because clearly outmaneuvered early when RPOs come, tempo comes into the game, rules are changed, and they're trying to figure out, all right, how do we counter this? And they're clearly struggling. You know, have we seen, and it's not massive, it's just a blip, but it is interesting that over a decade we've seen offense increase, 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 and then it comes down that maybe the defenses are adjusting better in all all facets because I think personnel-wise they've started to change, which I think goes back to why Michigan was able to have some success and we saw kind of a a resurgence in the power run Mm -hmm. game because teams personnel-wise have tried to say, oh, let's get – Let's get a little smaller bodies on there. So when they spread the field, we've got faster guys, which when the, when you've done that, all of a sudden it opens the door to kind of bully them a little bit and push them around with some bigger bodies. One yeah, I, I, I can see that. I also think in college football, we are seeing more and more teams drop eight and just say, yeah. hey, like we're getting wise to this. Explosive plays are the killer. Explosive plays allowed lose you the game. We would rather die the slow death. And it takes a certain amount of defensive humility to sit there and say, you know what? We can't run with you guys. We're going to drop eight. We'll take our chances with, with the red zone roulette. Hell, Georgia did that some in the national title game. I mean, it helps that they have a crazy good front. <laughs> and it's not, you know, they, they did blitz some. But um, I think you're seeing that more and more because that's a lot of what Iowa State does. And a lot of people have copied that and just said, hey, you know what? What do run plays result in? holding calls right you know sometimes sometimes false starts not really correlated but like a lot, a lot of holding calls very few explosive plays you know they're, they're really not very efficient it's much more efficient to pass the ball all the time than it is to run it if, if you're good at both um we'll let you run it go ahead and run it on us i don't give a damn and then we'll take the chance and our, our ability and strategy to stop the run in the compressed area uh, is very different than it is in, in the open field area if you were to make a prediction do you think that uh, the the change in the offensive numbers is going to be a blip and that we will be right back up 
like next year and moving forward? Because there is the like look across and show me the good quarterbacks. Look across and show me the the wide receivers. It, look at the in terms of the juniors and seniors draft eligible players in college football. The real strength, just looking at the the draft class, is offensive line, defensive line, and secondary. It's possible. I mean, it's it's hard to know. This is one of those things where I feel like we can't overlook the impact of the last two years as far as like COVID regulations and what mm-hmm. that's having on teams as far like offense and defense, considering the practice time and the way that they're allowed to practice and, you know, having to socially distance and all that kind of stuff and not being allowed near each other as much. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on, but I don't know that I have an answer or a prediction for it yet. That's I don't have Dennis's article up, Chip. Or sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think that's an interesting um, dynamic to this because in the purest, simplest forms, I, I think it's easier to say, go tackle that guy, you know, find the ball carry and tackle him than it is to run an offense and everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so maybe this was just a blip and development of younger players, guys have missed time, you know, continuity, timing, rhythm, all the things that go in and make offense great. Maybe those have been, you know, maybe that was just the reason why it was off, you know, with all the lack of practice time, lack of offseason workouts, lack of all the things that make offenses special. Maybe that's what it was. I was I was so wrong about this. And like I, I really thought that 2020 would be low scoring, you know, uh, because of, of like I was right there with Danny, the the whole hey, like it's very hard to get offensive cohesion going if you're not allowed to practice together, socially distance, all that kind of stuff. And then it turns out like the numbers were just off the charts offensively. And from all the defensive coaches I, I talked to, like, look, we really couldn't hit. We, 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 we couldn't play like reactive team defense in practice. And, and it's, you know, it turns out like going on air for the offense was much easier than going on air for the defense. So I, I don't have Dennis's story up. Chip, if you do, um, were, was 2021 down scoring environment wise compared to 19 and 18? Or is it just down compared to 20? Um, it was a the so I I'm pretty sure I, I have to find the article um, that had been incrementally increasing for every single year, including the pandemic year, and then it took a step back for the first time in ten years. And like okay. that was scoring, it was scoring, it was scoring offense, it was yards per game, like it was basic stats, but there was still evidence that the offense was not as prolific in years past. Also, we've saw, and this is a. Uh, this is another note, I think, to the conversation. We've seen a ton of coaching changes in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. especially with uh, COVID limits. I mean, I just think that whether it's offense or defense, it's just another wrinkle to this that we are seeing the first year, we are seeing the transition. It's just going to be tough to have a little bit of cohesion when um, you're going to have so much turnover at the coaching level and coaching staffs all across football. Now, are we headed towards a future where we're going to see as much as we've seen in the last two to three years every single season? I don't know. Normally, the things calm out for a cycle or two, then might pick up again until you know four-year deals and five-year deals start to come up, and and then all of a sudden the hot seat's back. But I, I think that's another piece of context that uh, that might show poor performance on either side of the ball just because of a lack of continuity. It's an interesting discussion. I don't yeah. know. It's it's one of the reasons why I love college football is because there is enough room for all these different styles and all these different ways to be successful. Very cool. All right. Next question says, Hey guys, this is the first podcast I've ever subscribed to. Well, congratulations. We're actually, um, I, I haven't checked my sources. I think we are the first podcast. 
We you are guys actually do a, the only podcast. That we're exists. the only podcast. <laughs> uh, you guys do a phenomenal job keeping the offseason short with great stories and takes. Thanks for everything you do. Question. From taking our recruiting class from the 80s to 40 th- number 43 in about a month last year, and as of writing this, he has us... Oh, he didn't provide context at the beginning. Uh, from taking Texas Tech's recruiting class from the 80s to number 43 in about a month last year, and as of writing, has us at number two class within the hopefully in the top 30 when it's all said and done, Texas Tech fans everywhere are drinking the Joey McGuire Kool-Aid. In the same way that we often point to Clemson as a team that, quote, broke through, is there an example of a coach who was able to unite a fractured fan base, have almost immediate universal support, and actually have success in the role? So Texas Tech fans are loving Joey McGuire. And I agree with the question from the listener because – there have been so many examples of a fan base that's all in on their new hire, and they point to the improvement in the recruiting rankings, and they they buy up those season tickets, and they're loving all the stories they're hearing from the high school coaches. And then oftentimes, more often than not, it doesn't quite live up to those sky-high expectations. So I guess the two parts of this, that for our purposes, uh, number one, thoughts on Joey McGuire, Texas Tech, and then number two, so where can Texas Tech fans look to for examples of uh, of the home run hire actually hit? Georgia. Kirby? All, all of us who are not in the Georgia fan base said, hey, like, fire Mark Richt. Be careful what you what you wish for. He's had great results there. The recruiting has been good, you know, even very good for a lot, a lot of the time. And Georgia fans are like, no, we should do better. And you know what? That's your right as a fan base. You you. You give us a booster, you buy those season tickets, you, you you can demand more if you're willing to pay for it. And Georgia certainly is willing to pay for it. Like, that's the one that sticks out to me. I kind of reject, reject the premise of the Clemson example. Chip, you were covering ACC at the time as well. Yeah, but was not a home run hire. No, and he was no, not they universal him out. The time. They did not want him at all in many cases. Yeah. That was that was, uh, that was TDP, their, their, their athletic director, standing on the table and saying, I think this is the right guy in the face of, of quite a lot of criticism. They With lost Kirby, the Elk Bowl to South Florida and they wanted him out. Then he went to hire Chad Morris. They came back the next season and won the ACC for the first time in 20 years. Um, there's examples all over. I mean, you could give on the flip side, what about Nebraska? You know, Nebraska was Bo Pelini, and they were kind of like Georgia fans. Hey, we're a tradition-rich program. We had all those titles in the 90s. This nine wins isn't getting it done. And then it goes the other way. Like, you think you're going – for a new direction it goes completely the opposite i don't know i i feel like texas tech would have been better off for somebody to stand up and say why why are we going to do this now matt wells just had his first like signs of improvement and now you want to make the change like i this to me is a fan base that's a little bit delusional as far as like georgia and texas tech clearly different programs what mark rick had done at tech uh, at georgia was really get close to breaking through, you know, inches in some circumstances of getting to that next level. And they did, and they got greedy and said, no, we can get better. And they were right about that. But what is Texas Tech's ceiling? Like where where can they break through to? I think their best opportunity is when Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC. Then maybe it opens up and that might be the best opportunity then for the to the, for them to advance. And I think they will, that will be huge for them. In fact, they won't have to go through those two teams. But I, I know Mike Leach set a standard there, but if you look over the history of Texas Tech football, it's not exactly – there aren't many double-digit win seasons. So 
you know, can McGuire get them to eight wins? I think that'd be a huge, massive success for them in the near-term future. But I'd say the more likelihood is with like a reset, they're probably going to be back to being five or six wins this season. And maybe, you know, it depends on how long it takes. Yeah. It's kind of an apples and oranges comparison. Cause like that, when the Georgia example, and I remember too, like I kind of felt the same way you're talking about, but where most of us felt my other thought to hiring Kirby was you're not only are you getting rid of Rick, but you're going to hire a Saban assistant. And we've seen how well that works for every other school in the sec that does it, but that's clearly worked for them. But even before that, like that was a team that was competing for SEC titles already. And when you would ask coaches about the Georgia job, that was most, a lot of coaches said it was a top five job in the country. All of them had it in the top 10. Nobody looks at the Texas Tech job the same way. And the reason for that is because you can win national titles at Georgia with the conference that you're in, the talent base that you have, and just your pull in that state, you've got national title ceiling. I don't think Texas Tech has anything close to a national title ceiling. But going back to what you were saying, Danny, this is a really interesting time in the Big 12 in that when Texas and Oklahoma leave, there's going to be a power vacuum. And you've got four new schools coming in and you've got the schools that are still going to remain. And there's kind of going to be a race to see who can get their foot in the door to kind of, you know, grab the ring or the crown, whatever you want to call it, to see who can become that new dominant program. Because if there's one thing that history has shown, even as conferences change and affiliations change and they expand or they shrink or they disappear, there's always that one dominant program in every single conference for at least a certain period of time. And we don't know who that Big 12 team is going to be. So there is an opportunity if Joey McGuire gets off to a really good start at Texas Tech. Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. The timing is perfect. Everything works out perfectly. And Texas Tech suddenly becomes a power. I don't think that is a very likely outcome. And the fact that we can't come up with a whole lot of examples of it working out that way kind of proves that it's probably not going to happen. Jim Harbaugh, universally Jim Har- praised. Took a while, but yeah. Big Ten title, college football playoff appearance. It's I, bigger, but it's a different. I think it's more. I think that's a great comp to Georgia. Yeah, I don't but think Michigan program Tech are the same thing. No, but <laughs> I was I was trying to scale it. I, I was trying to remove like well, if for Texas Tech not breaking through to make college football playoffs, because you're right about reasonable expectations, but a leveling up. Michigan football has leveled up under Jim Harbaugh and by beating Ohio state and winning the big 10 for the first time since 2004, I would consider 2021 a breakthrough season for Jim Harbaugh, somebody who was universally acclaimed and praised by the fan base and by even, even those outside. Yeah. But Michigan also used to be a program that won national titles. So it's leveled up from the downturn of the rich rod Brady Hope kind of, you know, collapse, but I don't think it's back to what it was yet. I think that, but it's well, a program that's only won one title in seventy-five years. Yeah, I think, but I think the, the, it was they've a also big played at like a top ten level a lot yeah, of times. True. Um, so, is Texas Tech a top half job in the new Big Twelve? Well, I, yes, I, I no. was. I don't. I don't. Because I was going to ask you guys. No. Yeah. It's too far away. It's out in the middle of nowhere, and it doesn't have the same financial commitment to me as a Baylor does. Like Baylor as a as a university, clearly wants to be really, yes. really good at sports and pays mm-hmm. up like crazy. Um, I mean, would you rather have UCF or Texas Tech? UCF. UCF. Yeah. Would you rather have Houston? Houston. Cincinnati? Houston. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Right? Like, would you rather be, have BYU? I think I'd rather have BYU in there. Probably resources. BYU. You know, TCU easily, SMU, I think so, even though I know they're new to the P5, but it's geography for me. You know, like, you can, you can evaluate your ass off, and you still have to get to convince kids to come all the way out there. And 
I think that is, regardless of coach, a huge limiting factor for sustained high-level success. You can be really good there in spurts, but I, and I think Joey McGuire is probably a good hire for them. You know, he seems to know the landscape, but it won't be through getting a whole bunch of four stars and five stars to come there. It's going to be because of his high school recruiting connections that he knows which kids to pass on. So they make fewer mistakes and they get more kids that fit their culture, which to me, if you're going to be in like outside the top 20, I don't really care how many four stars you have. A lot of times those four stars you're getting, if you're like a top, you know, if you're like ranked 28 are probably four stars who we missed on, who are, are like some of the bad four stars who have serious character stuff. Uh, get kids that fit your program and fit what you want to run. If there was a situation here, because, you know, we, we've we talked in the NIL era, if there was a program that got, a, you know, one or two boosters, a little bit crazy, and they want to shell out the, what was it, the Tennessee number, the $25 million a year, and see if we can buy ourselves a championship. And that's the only thing really that changes this discussion, right, is if they have some sort of situation like that. Go get you a billionaire. Forget your coach. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather have Texas Tech than SMU. I would rather have Texas Tech than Kansas State. Obviously over Kansas. Yeah. 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 Didn't Texas Tech try to get Sonny Dykes, or or am I imagining that? Is that a couple years ago? Spike was was the coach there for a long time. Yeah, Yeah, so that was sort of the, the connection always there. What about Iowa State? Oh, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. West Virginia? That's sort of that same range. Similar. Geography kills you. I'm just imagining, like, but if I'm totally wrong, please, like, snap me up on this. But I'm just imagining that there's there's that opportunity of, like, when you're going to see uh, these teams playing high school football, when you're going to talk with these coaches, there's just a, a wider net that you've got. There's, there's players that are going to be late bloomers. There's going to be players that develop a little bit later. Maybe they didn't start playing football. And I just think that Texas Tech has an opportunity to scoop up enough of those to, to be a top half of the new Big 12 kind of program. I think Coca in our in our group chat here had a nice example of maybe a good comp for Texas Tech, and that is Minnesota's hire of P.J. Fleck, which was widely seen as a very good hire for Minnesota. And while they're not winning division titles or the Big Ten, has had very good results for that Minnesota program. Like they've had a couple, you know, 10 win seasons. They beat Auburn in a bowl game. They're trending in the right direction. So maybe that's a better comp than the Georges of the world. Um, to illustrate my point a little bit, what is the biggest city that you think is within a four hour drive <laughs> of Lubbock? Of Lubbock, Texas. Dallas. New no. Mexico. Dal- is Dallas it, is almost six. Is it El Paso? I'm trying to think where I flew to. Uh, I El Paso Gainesville. is 300 miles by plane, 343 by car. So, so no. unless you're driving 80. Ugh. Well, I mean, in West Texas, honestly, you could drive 100 and nobody there is going to know. Because <laughs> like the, the, west edge there. Of Fort, the west edge of Fort Worth is 314 miles. Mm. Houston is it, nine hours, eight hours, depending on what part of Houston. God, like it's in Texas, so but it's not really like it's not really in the t- part of Texas that helps you from a recruiting advantage standpoint. Like Albuquerque is closer than a lot of these other cities. For I context of like Roswell, con- you can yeah. aliens. The context of like the size of Texas as far as the width, like to get from El Paso, which is probably the further most west in the state, to the other end, like maybe to the Louisiana border, say twelve hour drive. <laughs> 
Like think of where you are right now and how far you can get in 12 hours. That is just the state of Texas. I think to you. Yeah. No, I think it's about 15 hours between okay. Raleigh and Chicago, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, attack on me getting lost in hill country, you know, I could easily get to chip mm-hmm. in 12, 12 hours. 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably 10. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, like halfway up the coast. Like that's about halfway Raleigh. up the coast, you know? 95, baby. Just cooking. Yeah. Just shoot. I made that drive a lot. Oof. It's a long one. I know. Are you I doing the thing like that astronaut oh. did where you're, you're, you're peeing in the Gatorade bottle and stuff and so you're not stopping? Wait, hold on. We, we just call that astronaut? I thought that was just a thing normal people do. Too. <laughs> no, you, no, 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 no. There's a story I'm referencing. You guys remember this? The, the lady who drove from like like Houston oh, to, God, uh, to yeah. Florida to the revenge plot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's wearing the diaper in the car. <laughs> yes. Yeah, le- 11 hours, nine minutes for Danny to, to chip. Yeah. Do no stops, easily. baby. And that's the distance that it would be to get just across, to get across Texas. Texas. Yep. Yeah. Um, Good luck, Jerry Maguire. You didn't. I'm so. I'm sorry to our, our beloved listener who is hoping that he would hear that Texas Tech can be the next Clemson and level up. But um, it, we, we're going to need to see it. But there will be an opportunity, as we mentioned, in the remade Big Twelve. Coming up on the other side with an expanded playoff. There's the question about what's going to happen to the rest of the bowl season. What if? We change the rest of the bowl season. We'll get into that and more, including questions on BYU and Maryland football. Yes, Maryland football. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, next question comes from Josh. I've been a loyal listener since the 2019 season and have loved every episode. Mailbag question. As a BYU fan, these past two seasons have been awesome. Going 11-1 in 2020, having Zach Wilson go number two overall, and then going 10-3 in 2021. It's been great. However, this sched- our schedule this year is a lot tougher than in the past couple years. I know many BYU fans who are expecting another 10-win season and are getting used to winning. I grew up in the dark days of BYU football, and I am worried that we are due for another disappointing 7-6 and six season. What are your thoughts for this upcoming BYU season? Should we even dare to hope? You should always dare to hope. Yeah. It's college football. Their schedule is brutal. Yes. Some of these matchups. Bud, you're <laughs> muted. Oh, I was saying seven and six against this schedule is not disappointing at all. No. <laughs> seven and six, put them in the top 10 if they go. <laughs> yeah, like I think they're like a top 40, maybe top 35 level team. And like if you if you comfortably make a bowl or hell, you just make a bowl against the schedule, 
How many games are you favored in? Well, like, are are you sure you're favored in? Not like think, favored by three. I don't think our, our, our listener probably doesn't keep the BYU schedule tattooed on their arm, so I'll just that's, run through it really that's why quick. Chip's the host. Um, <laughs> uh, they start on the road at Jeff Scott's USF Bulls. They've got Baylor at home, at Oregon, Wyoming at home, Utah State at home, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Liberty, ECU, Boise State, Dixie State, and at Stanford. Whoo. Um, I'll say this. Yeah. Kalani Sataki has done a fantastic job. I I didn't think they were going to be very good last year. I was wrong about them last year because they lost Zach Wilson, because they lost Jeff Grimes. They had a lot of losses he had to overcome. overcome. I think he does. He's figured out, I think, a way to utilize the veteran presence of having older, you know, rosters that are in. There's a big difference in maturity levels and, you know, and I think some of that probably came into play, but he's but it's kind of starting to work for him. They do return a lot. Mm-hmm. I still think seven and six is going to be really impressive. But if like the over was set at six and a half, I'd definitely go over. Maybe even seven and a half. I just think this team is really like they're playing with a lot of confidence. They believe in their coach. It's got the, you know, the Samoan pipeline coming through there. It's what he's done is impressive. And I remember there were schools that like, all right, remember he got an extension this year, right? Yeah. Um, like he's he's done a fantastic job. I, I think there's a path to eight wins, but yeah. you're gonna have to you're gonna have to play well. Like you're not gonna you're gonna have to be void injuries and a whole lot of stuff. Cause like that road trip to USF to start the year, I don't know how good USF's gonna be next year, but BYU can win that game. Baylor is going to be tough, but at least it's in Provo. Oregon, you're probably not winning that game. I look at Wyoming and Utah State. Wyoming lost everybody on that team that matters to the transfer portal, seemingly. So I don't know how good that team's going to be, especially early in the year. Utah State, I think, was a really fun story last year, but I think it overperformed a lot. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's regression there. Notre Dame and Vegas, I'd probably go with the Irish. Arkansas, I'd probably go with Arkansas. But at Liberty, it's a road trip, but Malik Willis is no longer there. So I don't know how good Liberty is going to be. ECU, you can win. You could probably win at Boise. Dixie's a win. And you might be able to go into Stanford and get a win. That late season, um, Boise State and Stanford, both of them on the road, which makes it a little bit difficult. But those are not games where... I, I don't have the power rating. I don't, I don't think they will be sizable underdogs. And no. from the perspective of a BYU fan, you should not chalk that up as a loss. I, I think that I look at Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, and I'm like, okay, well, eight is, is kind of, is a great season. But, um, but I, I think that whether or not you are feeling disappointed probably depends with, and Boise state, you know, very much a, a rival for the football program. And, uh, Stanford, you know, drawing that Pac-12. If this BYU team can go on the road and get those two wins in November, then it is a it has been a really really good season uh, for the Cougars. Yeah, I, we. Sorry, Danny. Go ahead. I was just gonna say quickly. If you look at last year's schedule and we did the same exercise, we'd probably have been saying, "Good luck getting seven or eight wins when without Zach Wilson, without Pac-12 Ron. wins." <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I don't know. I don't have them as a double-digit dog in any game other than Notre Dame. And I'm fairly high on the Irish, I guess. I've got them favored by double digits in five games, though. So if they go four and one in that stretch, I think it's kind of reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you go four and three in your other seven? I, I think so. Like, I mean, they're probably dogs at Boise, 
I think they're favorites at Stanford. And like I, I'm, I'm open to the idea that Stanford's better, but Stanford certainly hasn't proved that they're going to be better. Um, at Oregon, I mean, it's, it's, I think they're dogs, but that's early in the year. I, I if like if you, if you said, hey, I'll, I'll give you a touchdown right now, and, and you take BYU, I'm all over that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were. Remember last year's team was dead last or second to dead last, I think. Was Northwestern the, the least experienced in the P5 and BYU was the least experienced overall, if I recall? It was I, one of the two. It was. I know Northwestern was very much at the bottom. I can't remember BYU. Um, like, I know BYU was either at or, or close to the bottom. They return a ton this year. And to Danny's point, like, Sataki's done a really nice job. I If you're replacing your running back, year, but, like, that's your headline, is that you yeah, have a rusher. Exactly. And so if, like, if that's what you have to worry about, doesn't. then – Let's let's go. I mean, you can still run behind an experienced offensive line. Jaron Hall is still calling the shots. I, you know, Tyler Alligier was a very very special player, but I I do think that they can find comparable production in the run game, uh, even with the rest. I believe they got a transfer in from Cal. They had a backup who got a little bit of run. I I still think that uh, BYU fans should assume that that can still be a, an offense that can you know run the ball effectively. I like Chris Brooks, by the way, from Cal. He runs hard. Like that's Mm -hmm. not a bad transfer for them. Um, You know, Lucas should continue to get better. Um, I question here from the chat. Bring it to the next question. I got a little bit of breaking news. We should just maybe want to discuss a little bit here from Pete Thamel. Source: Georgia transfer QB JT Daniels is on a visit to Oregon State. He's still expected to decide his eventual destination after the spring ball as he graduates from Georgia later this spring and will enroll after that. Missouri and West Virginia are still expected to be in the mix. Oregon State and JT Daniels. Interesting. Jonathan Smith. Yeah. Former quarterback. Go go get him. Go bring him to Corvallis. I, I, I think that is a very interesting – so that it's West Virginia, Missouri, and Oregon State mm-hmm. are the, the JT Daniels sweepstakes. I think you know I, it's is that a good thing if you want I'm, I'm not trying to be like bashing programs and i don't want to like trash jt but it's a it's very different from he, usc and georgia and if this guy had played you know all of the expectations and simulations that you could run but i think i think jonathan smith has gotten good results from his quarterbacks and i think that the injury concerns aside jt daniels would definitely be the most talented QB he's had to work with. So I think that could be interesting in the Pac-12 North where there might be some wiggle room this year. I don't know. So is it Tristan Jebbia, Chance Nolan, JT Daniels? JT Daniels definitely the highest ceiling of those three, right? I think so. Tristan Jebbia, number one in my heart just because we jumped in on the Beavs real early mm-hmm. as, a, as a good team. It's a team that's turning it around. Uh, question from Joe in the chat. Do we agree that an undefeated BYU would be in the playoffs. Now we we did we did a lot to temper the expectations based on the schedule, but if BYU were to go undefeated in the regular season, 12 and 0, it no conference championship obviously, but it would have wins against Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame and Arkansas. There's always the outlier situation where if you had undefeateds in the other Power 5s, but I would say if BYU is undefeated, I'd put it at 
What do you think? 85% chance they get in for sure? Yeah, Cincinnati would, just needed Indiana and Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean the schedule. Cincinnati still had the season before, though. Like, they still got cred for that Sugar Bowl against Georgia. But yeah. I do wonder, like, if you look at BYU, it it would depend. If they somehow went undefeated, it would depend on how Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, and Arkansas finished. Like, if they're right. all seven and six teams, it's not going to mean much. But how many top 25 teams do you think are on this schedule? I think there's one. Oh, just Notre God. Dame? Yeah, I think Baylor's Baylor a top will be a top twenty-five team. team. Arkansas, you think Oregon will be when it's all skirting it. Oregon, uh, okay, yeah, the, I guess the, you know I'm wrong. The odds are probably the, the more than one. But I think I Baylor also, will be a top twenty team in the preseason poll. I haven't put my yeah. CFP and non hat on in a while, but <laughs> I will say, like, I think the fact that BYU is en route to the Big Twelve will help their legitimacy. Mm. I'll drop it down to seventy percent. If they're undefeated, 85% was probably a little bit too optimistic. I, I'm telling you right now, if they go 12 and 0 and they aren't in the playoff, I will be raising hell. Against Riot. Them. We will, <laughs> we will have all that, that's a tougher schedule than most power five teams are going to be playing. Let's yeah. go. But people don't appreciate how hard it is to play a bunch of teams that are rated between like 70 and 30. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're, like they're, we go with the arbitrary number of 25 because somebody in a paper, you know, newspaper one day back in the day wrote that up. Um, but like, what's the difference between 25 and 28? Not much. Maybe like 0.05 in, yeah. in a power rating, you know, and they play a ton of those. They don't have a whole lot of teams that would, to me, would profile as like a bottom third of the sport, which means there's a whole lot of potential landmines on the schedule. But voters oftentimes don't give you credit for that. Mm-hmm. Good point. Uh, all right, next question comes from Marsh. Love the show as it helps my nine-to-five job fly by. Glad we could be here for you, Marsh. Thoughts on moving bowl games to Labor Day weekend once the playoff is expanded. This would eliminate opt-outs and give us fans an exhilarating opening weekend. Danny, I believe you have mentioned this as a as a possibility or something that you've kicked around, so I definitely wanted to to get your your thoughts on it. See if you've gamed this out any further in terms of oh, opposing. Co- okay, go. I've definitely gamed it out. I wish it was real. It just yeah. can't, like, unless you blow up everything, there's just, it's not a very viable option. I think it makes a ton of sense. Listen to the words we describe bowls, like meaningless bowl games. They're exhibition games. Like all the words that aren't in the playoff, Those are the, that's how we describe them. Doesn't that sound like preseason NFL football? Like it feels like, and that's where these games should belong. Um, the reason it wouldn't happen is because they're seen as rewards, and they are. And you get to go spend four or five days, and you get to do the roller coasters and see the children's hospital and all those good things. Uh, weather could probably be an issue at some of these bowls. You know, like if you have the Bahamas Bowl in late yeah, August, in early August. September, Boca Bowl right down the street. I mean, you got guys dropping. Now, I still think you could do it. You could have the games at night. You know, it's always a way around. There's workarounds. I think it would be spectacular. I just think it's such a pipe dream that it's just not a realistic option. Well, and we've we've already, you know what we've seen? We've seen a market created with, you know, the kickoff teams. classics, which are basically yeah, they're bowl just games. They're, they're creating bowl games at the beginning of the season. They've already done that with several of these neutral site, you know, 
uh, games that take place week one. They are run by the Bulls. It is the same human beings that are doing the Chick-fil-A Bowl or the Peach Bowl and the Chick-fil-A Kickoff Classic that are doing the, um, the camping sports or the Florida Citrus Sports, you know, the two bowl games you play in January, plus also the one that you play in August. Like it's and it's still the same organizations that are doing it, but I I like opening weekend neutral sites, and I feel like I'm a little bit alone in that. But I think I you know don't want them all throughout the season, but for the first game of the year to be able to give your fans and the teams an opportunity to to go somewhere and, and truly have every single fan go in with uh, like unchecked expectations i, I kind of think some of those neutral site openers have really good energy i like them but to replace the bowl game does make it really difficult especially when we start to think about um, you know, the coaches, the players who want it as a reward, the players who enjoy spending that time together, the downtime that they get to spend, uh, just sort of hanging out around the hotel, going through these team activities. My, my idea was to like have a draw for the first weekend. Let's sign up, um, you know, 12 to 28 teams every single year. And we're going to find out in May when we come out of the spring meetings what the draw produced. You know, go almost go Champions League on this. And so you've, you've got on your schedule this one neutral site game. So it's not a season ticket that you have to worry about. You know you're going somewhere. And then it provides sort of that same bowl hype where all of a sudden you find out, it's like, what, what was your opening weekend draw? And it's like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. You know, we drew Arkansas in Dallas. We are going to go and it is going to be so much fun. We are going to tear those Frisco bars up me and all my friends, and we're just going to have a great time and we're going to have a great matchup. So I, I like the general idea of creating this event for the first weekend, but I, I don't think it's going to replace the bowl games for a lot of the reasons we've discussed here. I'm against any idea that includes more neutral site regular season games. It's all on campus? Yeah. Stop because- sanitizing the sport. Keep what's yeah. great about it there. Fair. Campus. So... The only two things I don't like, well, besides the neutral site idea, uh, is one, bowl games do still care about getting people to the game. And a lot of these bowl game sites are really bad places to visit. Like, okay, the players drop in whatever. Like, we're going to play games in South Florida anyway. But, like, there's a reason why Miami, for their home games, unless it's against a really good opponent, has bad attendance in September. Same thing as, as Gainesville and Tallahassee. It's just too hot. Nobody wants to come visit Danny and Lauderdale in the first week in September. Like, we all want to get out of this state at that, at that time, right? It so, is the best time to come, though, because it's not as crowded. Well, yeah. Exa- I mean, as long as you can hydrate and don't mind, you know, dropping, hit, hit, hit Disney right then. That's why, uh, yeah, they would always... Simi's beautiful in August. So They would always fly us down to Fort Lauderdale in, like, July for our college football summits, and it's like, great, I get to go hang out in South Florida in the middle of the summer. <laughs> and, t- and Tom's mitochondria are very adapted to, to 100 degree and 100% humidity, so I'm, I'm sure he, he didn't sweat a lick. Uh, you, we so, took our shirts off walking home. Oh yeah, <laughs> just bring them out. Yeah. So you got you got that aspect right. Like the the fans would not come to these in near the numbers that they currently do because they oftentimes pair these bowl games with vacations to mm-hmm. nicer you know climates in that time of year. Uh, so maybe you could solve that by moving the bowl games, but I'm not sure all the bowl people would love that. Uh, the Orange Bowl committee is probably not going to be cool with playing you know in Indianapolis in August or something like that. The other thing I, I see is that some of these mismatches would be 
probably pretty crazy because sometimes these teams make these marquee bowls based on having some pretty special players. And I think the counter to this is you already have mismatches anyway because a lot of times these these teams that have these one-off special years that are driven by special players, those guys opt out anyway now. So maybe my second point's moot, but you would have some situations like, wait a second. We like this matchup based on last year's team. This year's team, eh, I don't know. So I feel like I'm taking the L here, and that's cool. But I would say for the counter that Michigan State Pitt was a very fun game, even though it lacked the two superstars in that game. Like no Kenny Pickett, no Kenneth Walker. Like that's still, still the whole reason why you would move him early. Is to if make you weren't sure you if you weren't betting, would you have still watched it when when when, when you saw the uh, the other quarterback go down? Yes. Okay. I watch. I just watch. I, I would probably. I'm not, it off. I am not the target audience, though. I have totally changed my mind on this because, like, the whole reason and wanting the games early was to prevent opt-outs. The Rose Bowl changed my mind because I saw Ohio State and I saw a bunch of players opt out. Give me the players that do want to be there, and they'll go out there and they'll play hard. Like, and go ahead and let the players opt out that don't, because I and because I do think that was almost worse is when you see guys who opt out in theory but not in reality and they show up and they go through the motions and they you know do that little like the, that buddy like thing you do with the line of scrimmage where you're like hey man you got me i'm not going to go too hard on this one let's not get anybody hurt i'd rather see the guys that don't want to be there go ahead and start training for the draft and the guys that do have them play hard and enjoy the game and the rose bowl was great you know boca bowl defense you caught it at field level you texted <laughs> us you said a lot of business decisions being made out here Absolutely. In this early kickoff at the boca bowl all right. Okay, let's uh here we go. Go Nats 44 asks, uh, hey guys, I've been a listener for about a year now. While I would love to hear more Maryland talk on the show, parentheses more is relative as there is none currently. I cannot blame <laughs> you for not talking about the team. I hope we become good enough where we are spoken of on your show. I consistently hear each of you preach about the importance of recruiting for a program to thrive. It is agreed. It is agreed that while an in-game strategy is important, recruiting is where a school's fortunes will be decided. As a Maryland football fan, I delight at these sentiments. Mike Loxley is a recruiter at his core, and the D.C. area is a hotbed for high school football. Given these facts, I ask you, why can Maryland not consistently contend for Big Ten championships? Aside from the standard, quote, Maryland football will never be good, I see nothing standing in our way. Why can we not be among the premier programs in the conference? I don't get it. I see three things standing in your way. Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Yeah, that's why you can't. I give think the that, Illinois talk. Just give it to them. I just I I think if you're a Maryland fan, like our questioner is, and you want to see that kind of recruiting payoff with more wins and more success, you need the Big Ten to get rid of divisions and go to a pot system. I I don't think that if you're in that division with those programs, because like Maryland for years, even before Loxley was there, like under Durkin and the coaches before that, they were often the fourth or fifth highest ranked recruiting class in the Big Ten since joining the conference because there is a ton of talent in that area. Problem was all the teams ahead of them were in their division. So there was no way for them to make up ground on them because they were actually losing ground every year. Had they been in the West, it might have been a completely different story. So if you're Maryland, that's what's in your way. Um, do you remember what I just talked about, how like recruiting rankings are very accurate overall, but sometimes you're getting guys who are highly rated who some other teams maybe don't want? Yeah. 
look at look at the look at the length that some of these guys, these really highly rated guys that Maryland has signed, stayed on the roster. I think that Mike Loxley is a really, really good recruiter. I do. But like Terrence Lewis, that was a huge headline. Maryland signed the number one linebacker in the composite. Terrence Lewis, physical ability-wise, was the best linebacker in the country, in my opinion. At 24-7 sports, so not the composite, but our own personal rankings, we had him as the seventh best linebacker. Because you do have to try to account for certain things. You know, am I frozen? Yes. Yeah. We're Bud's gone. Uh oh, Maryland got uh, Bud. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. The Terps got him. But Terrence Lewis, of course, now is at UCF. Mm-hmm. Did yeah, not stay on the roster very long. Yeah, it's there's a whole lot of things that go into it. And it's when you're starting at a disadvantage of being that like, first of all, you're in a new conference still. I mean, you you don't have the history there that helps. So it's like you, you there's a whole lot of factors you have to get in that you have to, you know get them all right for it to work and you need great timing and i just don't know if that really exists for maryland right now so would you be oh, out? they let bud they let the oh, whole bud they let me back in thank okay. god maryland maryland let you let let you get, come back to uh to discuss it fear the turtle <laughs> yeah i i like i would bet that they would underperform their recruiting rankings more than almost any other team out there but the we have seen from the the play the talent at the skill positions in the last three or four years has been. They have some dudes. Yeah. There's no doubt. Like, and I think they did a really good job recruiting. I'm just saying you can't look at, at that class that they signed in 21, which is the 18th class in the country. Now it was also fourth in the big 10. So to Tom's point, three reasons standing in front of you, even with that awesome class, um, you know, there's still things standing in front of you, but I just don't think that that class is that much better than like the 30th ranked class. So what is the what is the the peak efficiency ceiling for Maryland football? Because when I read when I read the question the first time, I was like, uh, regularly competing for Big 10 championships, this is a this is a very very big jump uh for Maryland to make. What is a more regularly going to bowl games? That's that I think that is a good goal. 6 wins is a good year at Maryland if you have a relatively cushy non-conference schedule if you want to challenge yourself in the non-conference bowl games become less realistic under the current divisional format you took the check you take the l's you don't think they could be uh hot like maybe this is way too lofty michigan state when ohio state michigan are down you know can you catch a year lightning in a bottle you get 10 wins yeah but it's just gonna be really hard yeah so this year do you think they make a bowl I haven't got their schedule in front of me, but I would say that I honestly, I feel like <laughs> should get to a bowl, but I don't know if they will. I think you can be a, a, a peak efficiency. Or you're a top 30 program in the country. I think that at multiple different times, Maryland's football history, though none of it in the big 10 and not every single season, but every 15 to 20 years, Maryland football had a run with Ralph region, had a run with Bobby Ross, had a run with Jerry Claiborne, where, they were finishing, you know, top 15, top 20, top 25, uh, you know, putting together eight, nine, you know, eight, nine, seven, 11, eight. You peak efficiency to me is that you have a 
a top 25, top 30 type program in the country. November is going to kill them. I think they should be a bowl team, though. I think they should be seven and five. All right, so they're underdogs against what? Michigan think, for sure. Wisconsin, they, Penn State, yeah. Ohio State for sure. And then coin flips, Purdue, Michigan State, SMU. You think SMU is a coin flip? I think that's a game they have to win. I think yeah. SMU will score a zillion points against those guys. No, they're, they're going to die in November. Period. Like they're going to start off well, and then they're going to get to November, and their November schedule is at Wisconsin, at Elf. Penn State, Elf. Ohio State, Elf. and then you finish with Rutgers at home. But you're playing Rutgers at home after playing Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State previous three weeks. Whew. Mm. I hope that's not. They, oh, you know what that shapes up for? Five and six Rutgers against five and six Maryland. Oh, yep. for a bowl game. Oh, the the one thing they cannot do is mess up and lose Buffalo or at Charlotte. Yeah. Like if you do that, your bowl game hopes are almost certainly over in week two. Um, also, I mean, I have them favored by over a touchdown at Indiana. And I don't know that I really – like I'm not really sure I want to buy into that. Maybe maybe I should, but um, – Well, I mean, Indy – figuring out Indiana is very difficult. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, all right, one <laughs> – Coke, I, I like the uh, the lower on this one. Mailbag. Maryland fans want us to talk about Maryland. <laughs> also, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, um, really, really good against bad. And then, like the if you look at his sort of opponent adjusted stuff, no, just look at the Iowa game. Just put on sure. the Iowa game and all of those turnovers when they would march, 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 turnover, march, 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 turnover. But that could get you to a bowl game. High variance. Yes. 100%. Uh, all right. This next one. Where's the Illinois? Yeah. All right, Tom. This is from John. Love the pod. There are two quarterbacks in Southwest Ohio that lit it up last year as juniors and will continue to torch everyone they play this upcoming season. Griffin Scolf at Anderson High School and Drew Novak at Western Brown. Both are getting looks from Illinois, a couple other Big Ten schools, and Mac schools. Would love to see them on 24-7 sports, top Ohio players. Also, I need a sicko mode cover three t-shirt. Thanks for your time, John. Well, there's nothing I can do to put him on 24-7 sports, bud. Can you do it? Uh, Where's Alan True? Get him on the phone. Yeah, Alan is like a spreadsheet whiz and is really on top of this. What... I don't scout Ohio for us. So what is what are these kids' names? I'll, I'll look them up where they are in our system because they may already be on the back end and maybe in an upcoming release for us. I, I can pull up our our spreadsheet actually and kind of look behind the curtain here. Uh, Griffin G R I F F I N Scalf S C A L F. Okay. And they're in Ohio. Yeah, they're in Southwest Ohio. This is good podcasting. And then Drew <laughs> Novak. Drew D E R E W N O. Tom, did you know about these guys? No. Get, okay. No. The only the only offers I know about for quarterback at Illinois of guys who haven't already committed somewhere are Dante Moore, a five star from Detroit, who they're not going to get. Uh, Brock Glenn, a three star from Memphis, and JJ Cole, a three star from Iowa. Those are the only offers to Illinois that Illinois has to QBs that I'm aware of. This might be Drew Novak's dad, right, John? John Novak wants to, wants to figure out a way to get his uh get get these, his boy. Is that his, the guy's name? 
The the reviewer's name? It just says John. It doesn't say John Novak. I was just doesn't, guessing. Doesn't mean Illinois is not interested or kicking the tires on him. It's just if, if there's an offer out, I don't know about it yet. All right. Well, all right, John. Well, we we will definitely work on the uh, the sicko mode uh, cover three T-shirts for the fall. That's the most positivity I can give you from this question. We, we are currently uh, through the database, right? Oh, he, he has a profile. Drew Novak. There. You got just it. Found it. Yeah, we've satis- we found we've Drew Novak. Satisfied listeners uh, here uh, on the not seen any offers listed. So if, if we're sleeping on him, so is every other college out there. Hey, they lit it up. Quote, lit it up, and we'll continue to quote torch. I'm sure we'll see him this, this summer in the uh, the seven on season. Uh, I found some stats last year. So, twelve games started, uh, two eighty one of four thirteen, four thousand four hundred sixty six yards, fifty touchdowns, six picks, uh, and he ran for nine ninety four on one hundred and seventeen rushes. Um, which means I wonder if anybody ever else touched the ball because that's like five hundred and 40 plays that were accounted yeah. either him rushing or throwing 17 rushing touchdowns. That's a hell of a load for a kid who's six. I'm going to go out on a limb here pounds. and assume that the competition level here, and this is me talking out of my butt because I don't scout Ohio for us. But if you put up that level of numbers in a known, like good high school level, you're probably getting some teams throw some offers at you, especially if you're listed at six, six. Hey, it feels good to score touchdowns. So I'm, I'm happy for him. Sure sounds like he's doing a lot of that. 67 combined touchdowns on the season during his junior year. John, thank you for the question. We'll get you back on these sicko mode cover three t-shirts with a t-shirt update uh, a little bit later on in the off season. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Remember the cover three bracket challenge cbssports.com slash cover three brackets again that's cbssports.com slash cover three brackets we'll give a hundred dollar paramount plus gift card and just like amazing bragging rights uh for being able to win the most competitive bracket game on cbssports.com of course sign up for yourself and your friends as well gentlemen thank you very much thank you MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.